Hello and welcome to the 6++ Plus Show, a podcast for your wargaming and 40k needs. Hobby talk, tactics, tournament reports, lore and much more. We have it all. Please welcome your host for the evening, Tom. Good afternoon, good evening, good lunchtime, wherever you are in the world listening to that 6++ show. Uh, welcome one and all, including those last minute tournament preppers, which is definitely myself. Uh, I've got a an event coming up this weekend and uh, I'm just doing something on every evening. So I will be, you know, surreptitiously peering over my glasses, not to appear wise, but to be able to see where I'm putting my paintbrush. I am joined, as always, by our cult leader himself. How are you doing, Chris? I am very well, thank you. How are you, sir? I am fine, as I'm contractually obliged to say. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Great to be here. Uh, John, how are you doing? Me? Me? Oh, cool. Sorry. Yeah, I'm good. You said John. I was like, that's that's actually my name. I forget sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, good. Um, Bit tired after running a tournament, but yeah, otherwise... Can't complain. Lovely stuff. And Davey, how are you doing? Oh, hello. Nice to see you. I'm good. I've come six inches through a wall to be here tonight. I'm very pleased to say <laughs> and hello to everyone. Um, yeah, doing all great. Thank you very much. Did you say six inches through a wall? Yeah. yeah. So, well, I... final joke. Oh, I see. Uh... I just thought it was piling in with like yeah. piling in because that's like an Age of Sigma thing and he's an Age of Sigma main. I'm a, no, I am not. <laughs> right now. All right. Let's see. Lovely stuff. Uh, it is it is uh, popping off in the chat. Good evening to Phil Jill. Phil Jill? Phil Gill? Oh, this is a Sean Bean name. I, I don't know how I want to pronounce that. Is it Phil Jill? Phil Gill? Or, I don't know. Let, give, give us a pronunciation guide in chat. Um, he says... <laughs> Number one tip for effective movement in 40k, run world eaters. That's another reference to things that happen on stream. Lovely stuff. Uh, we got Sindri as well. Got a GT this weekend. 30 jackals, but no 4++ plus plus prints. Uh, we've got Sean Capewell. Good to see you here, Sean. Uh, Existence UK, Ed Wise or Wise Ed? You'd be wise to remember that I am both. And I think that's all we've got in the chat so far so hobby wise obviously i am painting and will be painting as we go along this evening uh chris have you been doing much in the way of hobby i see you're looking down yourself wow <laughs> funny enough um it's it's not it's hammer figures don't worry guys um it is eight bound or it's mm-hmm. just exalted mm-hmm. eight bound i am working on my world eaters we're having a festive six plus plus rtt beginning of december near the beginning of december which i want to take the world eaters to for their first run out um, which would require the army to be fully built and semi-painted so i'm on the building train at the moment i have finished angron and now i've got 12 eight bound to build so that's fun for everyone and shout out to the people in the chat saying they are running 30 jackals because um, I built 10 jackals and they're absolute bastards to build. Yeah. Are um, they one of those new kits where just like every piece fits together and you've got to hold six pieces between your fingers and one go? Like, it took me as long to build 10 jackals as yeah. to build Angron. And that is not an efficient use. <laughs> of it's the arms, game. isn't it? It's like, which arm? Where does this go? <laughs> I think it took me about two to three hours to build the last four. And uh, just trying to hold them in play. Ah, oh, it was a nightmare. And like oh, you're building the little leader. And it's like, 
why does he need an extra part on his backpack? There is no need for this. This is completely honest. So yeah, um, I won't be running the 70 or 80 jackals list um, because I don't hate myself. Um, you, you could just get a load of Imperial Guard models that someone will have. Yeah, that's probably what, or cultists, I think that's probably what Manny did, um, or Rax in his case. Um, but yeah, I, um, I'm instead I'm having fun building eight bounds because they're not actually too bad. Angron had a few little moments um, but yeah, the eight bounder kind of okay, barring the sticking two sides of the chain fist together. Oh, that's mm. that bastard wrong. Because uh, there's no way... hand as well, right? Yeah, like I mean, I've got even crustier hands than normal. So uh, <laughs> you um, dirty bastard. But anyway, okay. <laughs> enough about that. So, uh, I'm yeah. a wash. <laughs> My uh, yeah, I'm enjoying building. Well, I'm not enjoying. I hate building models, but I'm looking forward to. Um, Lovely stuff. Hobby-wise, how about yourself, Scribble? Tell us about your tournament in uh, five words or less. Uh, narrative uh, custodies don't like lion. That was very good. You can have a few more words if you'd like to uh, tell us briefly <laughs> oh, yeah. about your uh, weekend. So, um, it was the third part of Warzone Faustus, which is a narrative match play event I have run. So, the idea behind it is play full match play rules, but you run a thematic list with probably stuff that is good, but doesn't normally make necessarily the cut if you're going to a match play sort of big boy event where you're just trying to do the best you can. So it's like making those kind of compromises just to bring stuff off the shelf you wouldn't normally. So as an example, Tom had less Sagittars in his Votan list. He had the Grimnir. I've never seen a Grimnir on the table, so I was like, he was pretty good. Spoilers, he was pretty good. Um, and as a result, there is a story that then developed, starting off with this Warzone Faustus, uh, there's about five or six different planets. Uh, the planet Faustus Four fell to Slanesh in the first event. Then in the second event, it became a demon world um, and spawned a demon prince. And in this third um, part of the story, Lee Jones from the team brought a all Slanesh demons army led by the demon prince, uh, well, the Keeper of Secrets, uh, Silo Korath, and, spoilers, took the whole subsector. Slanesh, despite being probably the least useful mark generally in a Chaos Space Marine list, we had uh, two Slanesh-only armies in the top two places. So it was quite a fascinating kind of adventure in seeing how good Chaos Space Marines are despite not having the Nurgle strat, not mm. having the full undivided rerolls, they were still terrifying. One of the best armies in the game. Yeah. Even with all that stuff missing, it was still great. Although an all Nurgle version, not so great. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a good experience. Um unfortunately one guy had to drop out because of a, a family issue on Sunday. So I did play a couple of games, which is why I said custodies don't like the lion, because uh Joseph from the team, uh was having a bit of a bad time with his triple dreadnought custodies list and then he went into the first company task force from the space marine book if anyone knows that not the best detachment but it meant i could have minus one damage deathwing knights and a minus one damage command squad so he was hitting into stuff going all this damage too going oh i'm just hitting a wet fish this is not fun and then the line just went up and beat stuff up as well which was terrifying apparently but uh, to the point where he threatened to eat the lion, not 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 like in the game, but just physically pick up the model and eat it. So 
but yeah other than that it was really good um i plan to run some more in the new year but probably as one day as kind of with a bit more open kind of plan to it big dynamic maps some themed boards all the cool stuff you normally get from kind of your narrative led events but still with a nice match play flair to it so lovely stuff well i'm still not entirely sure what a narrative is for <laughs> less competitive choices uh but it sounds like you all had a great time and that's the important thing and uh for, i think i think we're done i haven't missed anyone have i no um, no all right davy what have you been up to no I, I i'm still reeling from the drama of someone eating a model so much drama this weekend uh, well, i don't think they actually ate a model they just no, threatened, no. threatened to well I was at a GT this weekend. Someone threatened. They said, shall we take this outside to their opponent? Yeah. They should have listened to our podcast about good sportsmanship. Yeah. It uh, came at a very... specifically say, don't offer your opponent a fight. <laughs> <laughs> I feel oh, like I last week's episode oh, came at a very poor time and was completely ignored. Um... By everyone. Yeah, including the general community. Um, we're not going to be talking about what happened at Worlds because everything you read on reddit is apparently just complete bullshit weird fucking surprise there if you get your narratives from reddit you're going to believe anything that anyone can put together um that includes people writing tactical guides just uh just a heads up on that one so uh yeah we won't be touching that because it sounds like actually there wasn't any real issues going on and people are just knobheads on the internet so I've wrote a tactical guide on uh, on, on Tyranid. Uh, so that's I've sent that to Scribble for editing, and that's going to come out on uh, my experience. And I'll post it on Reddit too. Yeah, mm. sweet, thanks. I'm sure people will love that and tell me I don't know fuck all. Um, oh shit, I've sworn within two minutes. Um, but um, that's what I'm you. sorry, I'm ten minutes in. Um, so yeah, I've, I've I've done all right recently. So I've gone, I've done eleven tournament games and, and lost two with Vanguard onslaught and won nine. So I'm quite happy with that. Uh, so I did a little video which is coming out. But uh, at the weekend, I did um, man, it was a Peter Slam, great event. Paul Bridge is a really good organizer, and the events are really fun. Really good crowd, except for that one guy. But um, <laughs> but the um, it was it was really cool. So I, I went three two in the end. Um, the first two games, I just absolutely tanked it. Like just first one was a really great game against a guy called Dan, my favorite game of the weekend. It came down to uh, two dice at the end of the game. He needed a six on one of them, and you know we both played out of our skin and both did great. So he 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 got the win. I went down and then got absolutely ruined by a death watch player. Um, but there was no weird. There's no like none of the weird units. It was just like it was kind of like John Lennon's list. Uh, from mm, Worlds, but it had a it had a land raider in, so there's some changes. Okay. But it had the big squad of uh, Centurions and stuff. So, but I just played crap. Um, you know what it is? You know when you play Hammer and Anvil, but you're looking at it from Dawn of War point of view. For some reason, that throws me off completely. I'm like, oh, I have to walk right round the right round all the tables to get uh, to the other side yeah. to like move stuff, and it kind of throws my entire idea of where the game is going. But um, but no, that was good. And then uh, I came into um, um, Anvil Siege thing, which I won. And then Grey Knights, which I won against JP, really nice guy. And then I had a game against six plus pluses on Franco, where uh, I, I, I got the win there. I'm really pleased because Franco's an awesome player. He had an uncharacteristically bad game, I think, by his own admission. And I probably played out of my skin. So quite happy with that. Um, got another GT this weekend uh, at Hertfordshire GT. So, mm, very, very a lot of big fun. names there. Man, like that is a shark tank. 
It, it really is spooky. So not fancy my chances, but it's going to be a good laugh either way. Who, who's going? Who are the big names going, Davey? Um, so uh, Clement Torre, is that how you say his name? Yeah. Uh, if it's not, I'm not going to do any better than you, so let's stick with that. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Um, uh, Liam Calibert. Yeah. Great player. Um, Ooh, I'm trying to see. Uh, Liam's a uh, interesting to note. Liam's on custodies. Yes, he is. Yes. Uh, I just want to feel vindicated um, because if Liam's on custodies, then Liam knows that custodies are worth playing. Like, I don't think he's going to be playing a shit army. So, just going to put it out there. When I was saying custodies aren't bad, custodies players are bad, and they write bad lists. <laughs> just going to uh when so he wins the event i'm going to do a victory lap next no no i'm setting it up okay Chris, we've we've been over this you've got to shit talk before it happens That's if you cool. if you shit talk after it happens you've just been a knob if you do it ahead of time you know i'm calling my shot knob, here but you know yeah but that's for different reasons yeah. uh, that's just <laughs> me as a person so the, the anyway. top rated players are clement then liam um then six plus plus is oh an absolutely fabulous tom loman um, James Blake on Drakari, mm -hmm. so that's, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, James Pilkington on Custodies, mm -hmm. James Grover on Necrons, mm -hmm. um, and they're probably they're, they're they're the probably standout ones. How big is the event? Yeah, um, how many people in total? Yeah, twenty-five. Yeah, yeah. so you named like a, third, a quarter or a third <laughs> of the uh, the the players there, I think, um, and went. These are all really good. So uh, yeah, mm. good luck. Oh, so it should be good. Should be good. There's a, a nice, a nice wide range of teams. Uh, sorry, nice wide range of factions. So, uh, what is it? One third of them are Eldari or CSM, which is honestly not too bad really? for, for what it could have been. Really, um, but no. And then, and then after that, there's a couple of Tyranids, a couple of Votan, um, some World Eaters, Space Wolves, Sisters. Yeah. After that, it's kind of like one-offs. <clears throat> Someone taking Ravengard, Liam Wordsworth. Well, hero. Yeah, what a hero. There's that Blood Angels list that I like. Two Ball Predators, three uh, Predator Annihilators. I think it was. No, yeah, I think the Predator. Oh, was it Lancers? I can't remember. The one I posted in the group chat. Yeah, it was just uh, yeah. guns and guns and guns. Yeah. I do like that. That's cool. Yeah, well, and that's me. That's me. Yeah. All right. And I, I'll be at a, an event this weekend as well. Uh, I'll be at the Steel City GT in Sheffield. Going to be a lot of fun. Going to play my Chaos Knights. Um, I haven't actually played any games since my last tournament teams. So yeah, just going to go and uh, see if I can win it. There's the, the aim there. Some good players there. But uh, we'll see. Nice. Oh, one last thing, sorry, if you don't mind. I was on a podcast yesterday, so go and listen to that if you get a chance. It's on Black Crow Gaming, uh, which is their YouTube channel. I was on with Aaron from their team and Don Medlow, and we had a good old moan about everything. So it was good fun. Go and watch us bitch about stuff. Nice to hear about some good positive content. Yeah. All right, speaking of good positive content, what have we got coming up later, Chris? Right, well, um, we have had a recent matchup, plus plus, courtesy of Mr. Jack, uh, where we covered uh, World Eaters, Astra Militarum, and Gene Steeler Cult. So if you want to hear how to take on those matchups and and or tell us what we don't know um, about those matchups in the yeah, comments. Yeah, people like then doing that in the comments. Please feel free to do so. That would be um, that would be positively delightful. Um, furthermore, um, we've also had another Ed and Scrivo special of them talking about the Gladius Task Force. Um, and then finally, 
if you are interested in any shape or form about Drakari, well, we had a state of play where Tom interviewed um, the Dark Lord himself, Skari, um, and they talked about Drakari and kind of, because Skari recently won a GT of them. Obviously, um, Drakari have a pretty low run rate, uh, run rate, win rate in the grand scheme of things at the moment, but um, he's still doing pretty well with them. So, yeah, and it, it's a really positive watch. So if you're maybe there thinking, oh, no, Drakari aren't that great, actually they're, um, they wax lyrical about them, and Skari is very infectious and a very good talker. So that's um, that's a really good watch. So, yeah, we've got those coming out. Obviously, we've got two new codexes coming out soon with the Necrons and Admex. So we've got lots of content planned um, around them. And we've also got a few. Um, we've got Davies thing, got, um, I think, Jack, um, so we was the at the Peterborough Slam. Shout out to the other team members. Jack came fourth, um, losing in the final to Guard. He's doing a little report on that, I believe. So yeah, we've got lots of little things coming up. Obviously, we are in the run up to Christmas that becomes quite hectic for um, lots of us in our real jobs and our real lives and that sort of thing. So um, content might start to slow down. Conversely, it might continue to speed up depending on how crazy Scrivo is. So, two codexes at once. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. But yeah, we've got, we've got good plans for cracking those codices. So um, hopefully we'll be able to get all the all the um, exciting stuff over to you guys as soon as we have worked it out. Because um, obviously people are still doing tournaments. And then generally once you hit January, February time, people well, that's going to be a very exciting time with the new update and stuff. So um, yeah, stay tuned. Oh, and also... We do have a Patreon. Check it out. We've got quite a bit of money coming in from that now. So we're going to start really pushing more and more content on there and there alone. And if you are thinking, I want to buy some Christmas prezzies for loved ones or yourself, then why not head over to Composite Games? They just moved to a brand new store, a nice big one, and um, that should help with their kind of like just their ability to sell lots of stuff online. So yeah, head over to the link in the description and you will see that um, you can get a good discount and then if you use the code PLUS, you get even more of a discount. And that little bit extra you save actually goes to helping us out. So, yeah, check those things out. And as always, check out the link tree. We have a busy Facebook page, Instagram page, which is no longer hacked, big group. We have um, a very, very busy Discord, which has got such famous people as Vic VJ on it. So uh, there we go. So... Uh, but yeah, we've got lots of lots and lots of chats going on there at the moment. It just feels a really um, warm and embracing place at the moment. So uh, yeah, check it out. I just want to uh, clarify as well. Uh, you said if you want to buy presents for your loved ones or for yourself, you can yourself can be a loved one. You know? as I said, uh, I was like self care. As yeah. we as we come into the dark dark months, That's make sure to to love yourself as well. And I I don't want to see any any bawdy comments in the chat. Uh, just you know, take, a, <laughs> take, think, take a moment to, to look after yourself at these times and then come to an event and I will beat you. And you will be loved. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, no, we'll have a, a great time. Um, perfect. All right. So uh, we are going to be talking about the movement phase, which is probably the most important of all the phases because anyone can roll some dice. But uh, turns out you've got to actually think about where to put your models, which can be quite upsetting. So... So 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 so. Let's just uh, let's just start here. I want to hear the biggest mistake you've ever made in your movement phase. What what's the? Uh, has anyone got like a juicy 
Uh, now, Chris, I think, is struggling to think of one, but I can tell you what it's going to be. It's going to be something he's done with Yukan. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it's going to be a case of never made a single mistake with the. He's going to tell. He's going to have teleported it somewhere, and um, and it's gone. I mean, I've definitely lost a lot of games when the Incarn teleported turn one. <laughs> just, uh... just end the sentence. I've definitely lost a lot of games. Yeah, I mean, but that's not really the movement phase. No. See what I mean? Oh uh, yeah, no, that's true because she does teleport in the. Yeah, okay, yeah, no, yeah. you you you've gotten out of that one. Um, that's me. Despite having played Eldar, she's a, a unit that I completely avoided. I have a little bit of a a hate relationship with uh, Inari, so I've avoided looking at them but uh john you look like you want to say something yeah so i had i had an experience last week when uh giving one of my uh my local friends adam a, a bit of a kind of a, a warm-up for the weekend um i'd kind of set myself up so that i had two units of space marines that move six 15 inches away from the corners so i could do investigate signals turn one just in case got them there ready turn two I'm like cool this uh, this lieutenant with a combi weapon don't really have a plan for him i'll just move him forward a little bit Little did I know that gap I'd left at the back was the perfect size mm -hmm. for four obliterators to go. Oh, look at those lovely whirlwinds in that back corner! That there's only just enough space here to hit them. Just when you think it's not bad, he didn't shoot them until kill them because it wasn't great shooting. But then they made a nine-inch charge. I three turns cuddling them. I'm gonna just because stop... of one figure not moving correctly. I'm I'm gonna stop you there. Um, wait, you were gonna say I thought you were gonna say something tiny and was gonna score some points. You moved a model and left one enough model. space for four fucking obliterator yeah, bases. That's not my dude. That is not okay. Just, but that was one one forty mil base. If I'd not mm. moved him, screened it. That's how stupid it was. Yeah, it that shows was, that uh... one forty mil base can make the difference. I still won the game. Yeah, but it could have been a lot so more. it wasn't actually a game losing mistake no, but, it, but it could have been it was that close i had to play the balls yeah it really should yeah, have i needed it was a punishment and it that's the sort of thing like do you need to make that movement the answer is probably no yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all right and i've got one yeah. yeah i've got one i remember an rtt i went to in ninth where I moved the high turret advanced him and then left him an inch out of synapse yeah. So that I couldn't cast Onslaught on him and then charge. The classic. Uh, dis it disappeared. <laughs> the next turn, <laughs> it was gone. And uh, basically, my opponent put a hat over it, lifted the hat, and it was gone. So, yeah. Uh, but also, I think I think the most common, uh, like, the worst mistakes the most, ones you most commonly make, right, is just leaving a tail sticking out of a building. Um, things like that. Are the ones that really get me the most. They're the ones. Yeah, that I mean, I, yeah. I, when I see those, I tend to just say to my opponent, "Look, you've obviously tried to tuck that in. Do you want to just squidge him over?" Um, not everyone does that. Eh? No, no, just because... so, so actually, I had one at this weekend, right? So I'm playing my opponent. I move I, I... as you tend to do. That's a relief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's the hammer. You've up at the right table. It's going well. I'm looking at the corner wall, right? So there's a building. That my entire warrior squad's in there. Okay. I move, move the warrior squad out of the building, but yep. I can't see behind the building. My opponent can't. I can't. I move everything out mm. into the middle. They charge and fight. Blah blah blah. Then the next turn, he kills some, and he goes. By the way, you've still got a model in the building. I was like, do I? 
He goes, yeah, it's gone now because it was out of coherence at the end of your last turn. <laughs> Fucking hell. I was like, really? Is that how we're doing it? Yeah. Like, how many games have you had when your opponents just be like, wait, why have I got, only got eight models here? And you have a look down in the building for them. He's yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah you yeah. left one. Let me just whack that over for you. I don't think I've ever even considered that it might be out of coherency. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I was, I was, and of course, he'd killed the unit down to just the prime. So I, that would have been my last warrior. Yeah. And he's like, nah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Got, I played um, someone once and he teleported some Terminators over to a place. And um, he could see like the tip of the ribbon of a harlequin 10 man mm. and was like right well i'm going to shoot my 10 terminators into um these harlequin blob and i'm like oh. whereas and it's the one movie we're getting back onto this sportsmanship thing but i've had games i played in the final um of one event like two months ago i went first and he put his accursed cultist up on like kind of spread across this building to keep them mm. safe for the um the whole duration of the first few turns but he put his banner guy on the top and the banner guy was just sticking over the end. And I was just like, I don't think you want my race knight to shoot those accursed right now. So do you want to just swap your models over? And he was like, oh yeah, yes, please. And it's, it's just like, we've spoken about this before a lot, but it's just how you want to approach the game. Isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would like to think that if, like Dave, if you were in the reverse situation, there's no way you would go. Ah, sucker. Like, oh, you forgot. You didn't see that. And oh, no worries. Just what would you have done differently? That's all I ever say. Yeah, what oh, yeah. would you have actually done if you'd done? I can switch on being a dickhead. And <laughs> that and that decision certainly Did. made that behavior. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Reasonable. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I, I'm struggling to think. Um, we know that. No, no, I'm not saying I don't make mistakes. Um, just I think. It's it's all like really boring ones, like um, moving to a position where you then like plan to shoot something, forgetting the fact that you need to use that movement to charge on or something. The sort of like dumb shit you do in in round five. Unlike my um, my deployment one last week, I had a good story for. I just haven't really got anything interesting for this one. Just the classic, all the little things that add up, and then you get to round four, and you're like, ah, oh, shit. I should yeah. have done that uh, better two turns ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, looks like we've got a couple more people in the chat. Hello to Ultimate Funk, uh, Jack. We've got uh, Bread as well. What a great name. Uh, <laughs> so good, right? Yeah, I love that. Oh, bread. Uh, <laughs> bread makes you fat. Unnecessarily harsh thing to say about our viewers. <laughs> Sorry, fucking life out. Uh, nobody asked you. Get, get, back, get back in your box. Um, so now that we've, uh, now that three of you have contributed really well and I've said, fuck all, um, we're going to move on to some of the basic mistakes. Um, a lot of these are suggested by Davey. So I just want to give him a shout out because I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting to be here. So he did a lot of the thinking ahead of time. Um, so I kind of want to talk about movement and objectives first, and there's a lot of things that can go wrong with objectives. First of all, the one that you don't necessarily think about as much is how many units do you want to put in an objective in your movement phase? How much are you going to commit? How much can you reasonably commit when it's become an overcommitment? So I would say kind of when you're going about your turn, and I guess this goes back even to your command phase, 
you're kind of thinking two things. What are you trying to achieve in your turn in terms of your play? And what are you trying to achieve in terms of stopping your opponent's play? Um, and obviously, when it comes to the game itself, it's kind of scoring points and killing people to stop them from scoring points, basically. So in the case of objectives, you want to be thinking kind of in a reverse way. What? How can my opponent stop my primary? Um, so quite often, I will... If I go second, my opponent might go and shift, I don't know, a rhino up to um, onto an objective mm. or move a unit and just tow one um, just tow one model onto that objective and be like, yeah, cool, I hold this for next turn. And in a lot of the cases, that's worth five points. And therefore, as it comes to my turn, I'm thinking, right, well, how can I stop their primary? How can I stop their secondary? Well, how can I stop your primary? I'm just going to put one model on to counter your one model. And hey, now you're not getting that primary anymore. And so that's the reverse. So if I'm looking for those opportunities, then what I'm actually going to be doing is thinking, what can my opponent do to my objectives in order to, um, and so how can I lock them down? I think quite often with the way OC works, you've either got big bricks of stuff, which is definitely not going to get knocked off, or you can kind of go unit um, vehicle, unit vehicle character, those sorts of things. It obviously depends what line of sight is like as well, because that is a big thing. But on UKTC, on at least half of them, you can definitely get hidden in one. So it's about thinking about well, how much OC can your opponent put on to your objectives? Can they kill the stuff on your objectives? And then kind of go from there. Uh, Sean yeah. says, I'm quiet, by the way. Um, I don't know if that is the case. Or if it's just Sean. I just thought it's going to be shy. Okay. Um, it's, it, I, think, I think the one that people, or the one that I get hit with the most, or the one that I also hit my opponents with the most, is your home objective, right? The one that you think is safe, but in reality, it's not safe from three-inch deep strikes. Um, three-inch deep strikes are a thing. I lost in my objective this weekend to a three-inch deep strike, and they, they blew up my bivar. I usually have two things on my objective. For this particular reason, I have my Neuro Tyrant, which is OC3, and my Biovol, which is OC1. Now, both of those things on, you're pretty safe from most things. Um, I At one time, I just left the Biovol on, on its own, and then I lost points. So it's it's an easy mistake to make. At the same time, you know, be aware of what your opponent has, especially Deep Strike is a killer. If they can come within nine inches and charge you, that's obviously a danger as well. But the whole three-inch thing, it, it just means someone could absolutely put a model on your objective. And if it's a OC4 Trigon, even the better. Yeah. Just to uh, to sort of talk about that one, obviously, you know, uh, this is more for the viewers at home, not accusing you of uh, being shit at the game. Um, the What you can do is just take your 40 mil base and put it right in the center. And because you're right in the center, you're exactly three inches to all edges of the objective. So you can obviously be shot off the point and then lose it. Your opponent can't um, three inches in and then get onto the point as well. Uh, just to clarify, because I genuinely am not saying that you're an idiot. No, no, it's, it was just something that I thought I was safe. I took my eye off the ball. That was exactly yeah. that was it's exactly easy to it. Do. And I think it's uh, it's just sometimes at the end of the turn, I always kind of think to myself, "What does my opponent have in reserve? Do I need to do anything about that?" You know. Yeah. Um, and and uh, yeah, it's a good habit to get into. I'm a very big fan of going, actually, my objective's not important. 
how about I take all the ones in the middle and yours? That's been a, a real game changer for me in 10th edition. Turns you're out. You're such a red player. You're such a, you're such a red green. Um, it's funny because I, I used to be a really cagey player in 40k mm. and playing Chaos Knights has made me go just, but, but what if I put eggs in all the baskets? It's, wow. uh, it's been great. Yeah. So, um, objectives there. Yeah. So in terms of mid-board objectives, how do you like to structure where your, your units tend to go? Obviously, it varies based on map, but you, mm. do you tend to put models into all of the objectives or do you tend to sort of pick a couple, pick one? You look like you want to go Scriver. It really depends on the army you're running as well. So for mm -hmm. a good example with Space Marines, if you try to hold all three mid-objectives, you're not doing the job very well. Yeah, and if the mission is like hold one, hold two, you just do the two well. And if the two means you're holding your home objective, yeah. you just things like a lone op on an objective hidden in a ruin. It's a relatively safe bit of holding. And then if the unit that's supporting that character gets blown off, you're okay because you're still holding it. So it's having those kind of layers of kind of backup, especially if there's something like Shadow in the Warp with um, Tyranids. If you're if you're relying on one unit holding your primary, and you fail that battle shot test because you cannot just go insane bravery on it, having twice the chance of passing it, or I suppose twice the chance of failing it as well, mm. gives you some support and chance that you might not just be zero for your primary. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. Um, when you come to armies with army rules that make it harder for you to pass your leadership tests, whether it's chaos knights or tyranids. Uh, they can force either multiple battle shot tests or make a battle shot test harder to pass. Having multiple units on objectives is absolutely more important. Yeah. Um, something that I, every time I go into a game and I tell my opponent what my army rule is, and I'm like, it's not even a rule, and then they fail a battle shot test and an objective, and I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe it is a rule. Maybe it is a rule. Yeah. I think uh, for me, it's I think um, Anthony Villella was talking about this, and I've kind of I'm kind of stolen it from him, but. It's a very good way of kind of thinking of the game. Hmm. Um, I mean, first of all, the basics. What mission are you playing? Do you need to stand on two objectives or three? Mm -hmm. if, you stand, if you stand on two, just stand on two. Don't bother. Like, is there a good enough reason for you to leave your half of the board? Usually, no. usually there isn't because you just need to stand on two. Um, then it's a case of how do you protect that? Number two. Um, you, you, um, you will put me like, so for me, it's putting a loan up on it because then you can't target it. And then making sure that your opponent can get within 12 to target in the first place as well. And then all of a sudden you're like, cool, I scored 10 points next next turn. And I know that happens. Yeah. Um, as long as they don't have three inch deep strokes. But mm. um, yeah, so I think uh, finding a unit that will, you can move onto that objective that is either durable or untargetable is, is super key. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really funny that you've st you say you're still on that from Anthony, who has famously been playing World Eaters recently. Oh, sorry. Which... Yeah, no. So, so what I was getting to was he's clear out that corner. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, so if you if so if you're playing corner deployment and you want the objective above you, use your army to clear out that corner of any threats to that objective. Then just stick your loan up on there and then move on to the next corner. Move on to the next corner after that. And I think that's the way that tenth is kind of panning out. Is you need to clear mm. out corners. And uh, and then hold that objective. Sit, make your primary super safe because it's it's fifty points now. It's super important. Yeah, it is a bigger chunk of points than it used to be. Um, mm -hmm. Comparatively, it used to be fifty fifty between that and secondaries. 
Um, and then a lot of the secondaries in the game, especially if you're playing um, tactical instead of fixed, you probably need to be near objectives. Uh, and not insignificant amount of them are be on an objective or kill stuff off an objective or, you know, like objectives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lovely stuff. Um, it wouldn't be a podcast about the movement phase if we didn't talk about my favorite strategy. I'm just going to go straight to it because I really want to talk about it. I fucking love rapid ingress. Um, <laughs> and I, I think it's just the best thing you can be doing in the movement phase. Who who here thinks that they play correctly against rapid ingress? Does anyone think they do it? When I remember about it. Yep, yep, there is that. Well, I think you can obviously... It's one of those... As long, I think it's having in mind what your opponent's deep strikes are because the amount of times people are putting... Either it's not it's usually that powerhouse units don't start on the table, right? So yeah. if it's six aggressors and minus Kalgar or whatever, they're starting maybe in a land raider or a rhino or some, something like that, right? Running yeah. pulse or whatever. Mm. Um, I can't, uh, chosen, they're probably in rhinos. Uh, sure. You know, this is coming more and more common. Um, I forgot what I was going with this. Yeah, so, uh, but, but most of the time, like, it'll be something in reserves as well. So the, I say powerful. Right. Um, Inceptors are still really powerful because they will score you behind enemy lines, deploy teleport formers, these kind of things. Um, and it's just being aware of what your opponent doesn't have on the board as much as what they do have on the board. And then you can work around that. Yeah, I, I'm definitely better at it than I was uh, previously. Oh God, but there was yeah. a time in ninth edition where it felt like every event, there was one game where I felt like I was doing really well. And then my opponent would go, yeah, cool. So I'm going to bring in this, going to bring in this, and this gets out of a transport. Because you've been looking at the board thinking, this is all they have. Mm. Um, and it turns out half the units that they, they've they got to play with are still sort of not accounted for visually, yeah. which yeah. is something to, to keep Fred's, track of. Fred's comment here is super, super relevant. In ninth, I built up a habit of turning my brain off in their movement phase, and now I need to reverse that so I can, wrap, so I can screen out rapid ingress. Like... Oh, wait, so he can rapid ingress. Yeah, yeah. Damn right. Right on, right on. Yeah. And Bodge also saying here, screening uh, for deep strike is one thing, but screening for and planning for opponent's rapid ingress is, I still struggle with this edition. It's uh, like, yeah, it's really hard to do. So yeah. I think, like, like, in my turn, I'll be screening out for their potential deep strike when it comes to their movement phase, right? Yeah. So in theory, that's still screening out the rapid ingress. It's just that extra layer of the fact that they're going to get an extra whatever six inch move on top of that or whatever it may be so for me like when i've and i remember that my opponent can rapid ingress most of the time um but so i can think of when i played against the custodies um once and they had this big brick coming in in my head it was where is the most dangerous place that they could come in for and then how can i stop them from doing that and actually can i make it not worthwhile for them to ingress mm -hmm. so are they going to ingress into a pointless place you just need to think about in terms of how the battlefield's shaping up where are where's the action going where do they want their big powerhouse units to be and that's the area where you might add an extra five models or something just to add, add, um, push out that screen even further um and potentially in as like a safe place so like in the quarters deployment for example in uktc you really don't want giving them that open area to screen so they can get to your um, home field objective um, on on their turn because um, if you haven't lined up 
people haven't got much shooting or um, extra kind of combat threat in that area, they could potentially hit right on your edge of the flank and you haven't screened out because it's like no man's land and you wouldn't think about that. And then suddenly they're now moving and then boom, they're on your home field objective. So it's about kind of like thinking about what's the most dangerous places they can go and potentially um, sacrifice it. Um, and absolutely ultimate fun. So ultimate fun car used to play ultimate frisbee together. And he says a bit like zone defense. You have to give them somewhere on the board, but you want to be in control of where the safe is that you're giving them. Absolutely, you need to think about what are what options are you giving them, and is it you know is it a bad option? Sometimes they will just rapid ingress, yeah. and they're like, cool, great, be my guest. Thank you for wasting your one CP. But it's it's very much a similar processes um, of normal screening isn't it making sure your deployment zone screened out and then just pushing pushing it out for those two to three turns and if they have got things like those three inch deep strikes um it's then where's where's the okay places for them to land um maybe lining up some overwatch if they land in a certain place and that sort of thing if, yeah. if we're talking about really strong strategies by the way the movement phase is the best counter you have for phantasm right the reason why I say that, and again, watching Out of War, super, super great way to get around this or, or to kind of counter it a little bit is getting between two units. So they can only phantasm one of them, right? So mm. if they have Super Hawks and Warp Spiders or whatever, they can only phantasm one of them away. If you make them have to make that decision, then you can, if you can move your units into such a way that, well, I can either charge these guys or charge these guys or shoot these guys or shoot these guys. You can only phantasm one of them away. You're making that Eldar unit lose an asset and an Eldar player lose an asset. So if you do hit phantasm like the vast majority of players, that's one way to uh, to kind of get around it. Yeah, no, that that is a, a valid point. Um, upsettingly, not words about rapid ingress, which is the, the only good stratagem to use in the movement phase. <laughs> no, no, that is that is great. I, I mean, obviously we're seeing less and less Eldar now and hopefully as the... Uh, the next balance slate comes around, we might have a bit of a reprieve from seeing Eldar across the table from ourselves, which I'll be happy about. Although, but, then it becomes more terrifying, because the people who are still playing Eldar are the ones who just play them because they're really good at the fucking movement shenanigans and scoring loads of points, and you can't do anything about it. It makes you want to rip your hair out. But, yeah, um, yeah you, you typically want to present multiple threats into something like Phantasm. And then sort of other similar stratagems that could affect um, your own movement as well. So things like squad tactics with space marines. Mm -hmm. If you end up with nine of them and your your goal was to charge that unit to get onto an objective, making that risky play, you're just giving them an opportunity to back off and then make your play fall apart. So your own movement has done that. So it should be either more forward or two units that then mean that they cannot avoid it. Yeah, absolutely. A good example of this sort of effect is uh, at teams when I played against uh, Dave's Death Guard. Death Guard? Grey Knights. Uh, the, the opposite of Death Guard, the mobile army. Um, <laughs> obviously, Grey Knights have one of the best abilities uh, for movement mm. in your opponent's phase. Um, Mist of Demios, I think it's called, yeah. which is when you move within nine inches of them, end a move within nine inches of them, if they're not engaged in combat, they can either make a six-inch move or they can fuck off back into strat reserve, which is really annoying, especially if you're playing a melee army. Uh, I found, actually, if you can make a single nine-inch charge into a unit to tie them up, suddenly they are pinned, um, which is great, because I was cycling units into combat 
with the Terminator brick that I wanted to just pin in place. Um, a great way around that squad tactics ability is if you have something in combat with them already, move the next unit that wants to get near them or past them, and then fall the other unit back. It's really simple ordering, but if you get it wrong, they're going to be off the board, and you're suddenly sat with your ass out in the, uh, you know, duck out of water. Mm, absolutely. Lovely stuff. So uh, going back to rapid ingress, because you know, it's have you got awesome. a new tattoo, Ed? Is it rapid ingress? No, I should do, shouldn't it's, I? It says uh, rapid on his left knuckle. Yeah, yeah ingress. Right. <laughs> ingress, but it doesn't quite fit. So it says just grass. So something that you we would we were talking about positioning for thinking about how you're going to um, prevent your opponent from scoring or thinking about stopping your opponent from stopping you from scoring. Uh, a great one for free scoring or low effort scoring is rapid ingress because if you can rapid ingress onto an objective that your opponent wasn't expecting after they've deployed their guns, you know they maybe haven't managed to get a good angle let's say that they've moved aggressively in one direction as a melee army and suddenly like, oh, cool, I can just tow onto this objective and I'm 11 inches away from my opponent. They're probably not making that charge. Um, you can even do it with strategic reserve on a number of maps. Like if you use the UKTC as an example, I think two out of the five off the top of my head, you can rapid ingress and be in range of an objective yeah. coming from strat reserve from the edge of the board, which is absolutely perfect if you want to just get some points against a, a real gunline army that you can't stand in the open against especially if you have like loan ops um i know right. there's scar talking about how oh no who's it tom played not scar sorry tom played into um i think it was grove or something from uh, mm. and said that the guy had um rapid ingressed in a hex mark destroyer um just yeah. to like you know that unit was about to die to shooting he's gone loses primary boom um Hexmark destroyer there now can't get shot. Job done. So it's like thinking about those kind of options, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hick Dead says that surely the rapid ingress tattoo that I apparently have would be across the buttocks. Which uh, how dare you, sir? What I do in the bedroom is none of your concern. Um, consensually. <laughs> Just <to cut>. Okay, Ed. <laughs> Just want to get that out there. My my bum tattoos are none of your business. Uh, I'm a classic classy bird so uh talking about other stratagems then someone mentioned in chat and i'm gonna have to screen up because i can't remember who it was but they really liked the world eaters sticky and objective strat sean oh, uh, sure well said yeah great stratagem a lot of armies have it and it's really nice especially on the the aggressive armies like world eaters where you might potentially end up leaving an objective or you don't want to commit too much back to it so if you die to non-line of sight shooting you still have the objective there. It makes it really hard for your opponent to interact with you and just sort of limits their options for removing their scoring in the movement phase. I think, um, so Nick Nanavati played into Anthony Vanella um, at the Cali Cup and mm. he did this video on the war room, which was about um, mistakes he made. And it really, sounds like a really simple one. One where like, how would you do that, Nick Nanavati? But he, um, he put them on, he didn't, he started the jackal, not sorry, he started his cultists in a rhino okay. um, rather than on the home field objective to sticky it. Mm. it. And he started the chosen on the objective. He then had to spend a turn um, in order to sticky it, that kind of, and kind of get out beyond the objective. And he didn't want to. So the cultist got out, went forward to screen. It meant his home field wasn't sticky. It meant then that later on, like turns three or four, he was having to keep a unit on his home field objective 
to hold it when actually if he just deployed the chosen in the rhino and the cultists on the objective um he would have got that sticky and i think at a mid-level how often do we forget about sticky objectives mm-hmm. um like in terms of the mission or rules or what was stickied and that sort of thing it happens really regularly so it's actually an incredibly powerful ability because if you can especially if you're playing into armies that don't have those deep striking abilities um and like that late game ability to get around flanks and that sort of thing if they are just a coming at you kind of army um to have that bit of security and then you can use those units which would actually just be sat there to potentially go and move block or screen or scorecards whatever um is really valuable so when you do have sticky objectives just be thinking right is there a, a progression here of maybe places i can move this to keep sticking them the world eaters one in particular is great because it's when your unit dies so you stick a unit out you go go on and shoot it if you want that's fine by me because i'm just going to spend cp and it's still going to be my objective um and so obviously that's that's really nice you can still screen it with things like swarms with no no i see i'm thinking like you know nerglings or spore mines things like that you can still screen that space um as if you've got a cheap throwaway unit you can stick there yeah yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a bit about screening in the movement phase. Obviously, one of the most powerful things you can do is to protect, prevent your opponent from getting to where they need to be. Um, the man playing the army that is all about move blocking and screening is uh, our own Swizzly. Yeah. Do you want to take the lead on this one? Obviously, you've been playing a lot of move blocking and uh, yeah, movement sure. shenanigans. I mean, we, we, we really struggle to kill stuff, right? So <laughs> like we can't. Like the, the the big killer at the moment is uh, the thing that I hate to see on the board is a land raider or a demon. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I, I move anything near that with my four up armor saves, and they just melt. So, so yeah. So the, 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 there's a few tricks that obviously we have in nids, but maybe these can be relevant for your army as well. So, for example, fire and fade. If you have access to fire and fade, use that because it's really good. Um, we have gargoyles which can come a deep strike uh, nine inches away. And then fire and fade to be within three inches or even better you can get behind a wall near the said unit that you want to charge or whatever and um and then fire and fade outside you know around you know through the wall so they can't overwatch you uh, worst case scenario worst case like you can charge the unit so that they can't move next time so or you can make it make it take a desperate breakout test which big lols if it fails um so so yeah i mean things like that Getting in, getting in the way, you know, blocking these big killer units. Everyone's got these big stompy units at the moment, and some armies really struggle to kill them. Some armies just murder them straight up, and it's fine. But for us, <clears throat> you know, I don't think I can kill a land raider easily at all. I did kill one at the weekend. It took me three battle rounds. So I'd much rather move block it out of the game, make it irrelevant. The only, the, you know, you can nullify a lot of these units by just staying out of their threat ranges and stopping them moving anywhere and the way you tend to do that is with chaff units you know things you're happy to throw away yes you're not they're not your 30 point pyrovort isn't trading up you know what it's doing a job yeah and then in kind of a contrast to that sometimes if you're into a combat army you don't want to necessarily put those chaff units too close because if you give them the opportunity to charge them you're giving them an opportunity to springboard as well. So if you put a unit within nine inches of a charging unit before they've moved, the worst thing that's going to happen is they move up, charge it, and then they potentially get onto your objective or get 
into where you don't want them to be as well. So it's kind of making sure those screens are not just screening an area just to give them that opportunity. Like World Eaters, you wouldn't want to give them that opportunity, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very easy to fall into the um, the springboard trap against a melee army. If you're, Especially in an edition where we've been so used to playing into almost entirely shooting armies with very little in the way of meaningful melee. Suddenly you come up against a melee threat and you don't necessarily think about it. A good example of this was my round five of teams, uh, the Saffron Slam we went to. And in round five, I was playing into Gunline and Imperial Guard. And I'm playing, you know, all chassis. So I was a little concerned about getting gunned down. Technically, it wasn't the movement phase. He used his scout move. But he scout moved forwards so he could get his transports behind walls so that less things could be shot. What that meant was I had some, like, I think eight-inch charges with carnivores who have an inbuilt reroll. It was great. It just meant that I could really put the pressure on turn one. So giving your opponent that ability to to get closer where they, they really shouldn't be um, is something to, to avoid. We had someone say in chat as well. Um, yeah, Phil Gill, who said pronunciation guide. Um, it's pronounced Sean Bean. Sh- Sean Bean. But he, he only wrote it, so I'm going to say Scene Bean. So uh, Scene Bean in chat said, stopping short of walls so you can't get charged through. I do want to just take a moment to say, uh, good job, Games Workshop. One of the things that you said was you were going to fix the combat phase. Uh, The one thing that people really wanted fixing was the whole, I'm one inch short of a wall. You can't fit your base in. You can't can't fight me through this wall. And it's like the one thing that they didn't even try and fix. Um, But yeah, that's just part of the game. It's now fully accepted, I guess. The um, Phil's also mentioned here about stay 3.1 inches between your own units. Now, yes, absolutely, if your unit has no chance of dying or there's no way to get around your unit. Because I think one of the things, especially with World Eaters, is they can squeeze around the edge of units. They can, you know, get all that mo- that extra movement is, is there to be had if, if they would so wish. Um, there's a great video. I can't remember what the chap's name is. But if you go on YouTube and search for Never Lose to World Eaters Again, this guy has a really good video on screening and it just explains it so clearly. So if you've ever been confused by screening or you just like to upscale or refresh it, definitely watch that video. He goes on to TTS and explains it. I found it useful anyway as well. Um, but just having... The thing is with World Eaters, they can be at you wherever you are. You can deploy on your own back line, but then if you go first, you're absolutely screwed because you can't get to where you want to be. You can't get onto an objective. So you just have to kind of go, okay, they're getting to me whatever I do. So how do I, as, as Phil says here, give enough space between those two units? And it's and it's very difficult to do because you have to really know where, how far could they get around the unit? Because if they can, if Angron's base is enormous, if if they get right around the, my, in my case, a Gargoyle unit, they get right around it, you know, the, the eight bound kill the Gargoyles and then Angron piles on the other way. So just make sure you're putting plenty of space between you. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the game that I played really poorly at LGT, I played into World Eaters round one, and I did a similar trying to screen out Angron from getting into a spot, and I did leave him a spot that he could put his base, because I just physically couldn't put, I couldn't screen the entire thing, but I looked at it and I was like, okay, so you need to roll um, something like a five, you need to survive all the shooting that I'm putting into you, and then fail to say, like, let's say you don't die, you need to roll a five on the advance to get into there. 
I was like, this is probably fine, which was really sloppy play on my behalf. You know what? That can be my my biggest mistake made. Um, just be like, not respecting that if your opponent goes for the Hail Mary or just like, ha- you give them a chance where if they roll high, they are put in a really solid position. I had a similar one in um, ninth edition. I lost when I was playing Tau, when Tau, I think, were quite good and Custodes were a little bit suffering. Um, really, really good. Uh, Custodes player, I've played him a lot now, and he plays very aggressively. And I positioned so that you know he, I, I wanted to get as many guns in range as possible. So I was giving him something like eleven inch charges, and he said to me in his movement phase, "He's like, cool. So I lose this game unless I make some stupid charges." And then he went for it, and then he made some stupid charges, and that's not me losing to bad luck. That's me losing to not respecting, you know, how can I lose in the movement phase? And it's giving my opponent that sort of in where I didn't need to. Because like those those guys being lined up for you to do a shooting, did that yeah. shooting actually gain you anything? Because I often do that. I'll put something out, and in reality, it's done some pot shots. But does that actually achieve me anything to score points? And generally, a lot of the time, no. Oh, I was I was playing Tau, so my entire battle game uh, battle plan was yeah. shoot my opponents. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that's that is absolutely uh, a good point. With how many units should you commit to? trying to deal with your opponent when you could potentially accept that you're probably not going to get them down to a five on primary maybe you just leave the unit there you you know you get one unit that you can cut an angle on you can get some shots off without being able to be seen back and by cutting an angle i mean you know you sit them behind a piece of terrain so that your opponent's guns can't get an angle on you next turn but you can get an angle on the things that you care about um i guess that's something else that we can talk about here pre-measuring where your opponent can go to i especially my first turn of a game my movement phase takes absolutely ages because i will pre-measure where my opponent gets to Uh, i'll do it in the deployment as well and i will measure out where i want to go to and sort of work out what that looks like at the end of the first battle round after we've both had a movement phase Uh, is that something that you guys tend to do as well no man yeah, really, like it's a bit of a habit now in terms... I never used to in ninth, and I think it was to my, my detriment, and I think in 10th it's something that's really kicked in. Um, especially with this army, uh, the, the use of loan up, I think, really kicks you in, right? Because it's like, okay, what's your movement and 13 inches away from me kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Ranges. Oh, it's massive. It's so, so clarifying big. that with, with your opponent is important. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's that kind of going to them, right, so if I move here, I'm 17 inches away from that unit that can charge me and moves five. So seven. if I'm more than 17 away, I'm fine, right? And then getting them to agree means you then have none of this kind of, oh, well, actually, because then you're both on the same page as well, right? Yeah, yeah 100%. And this is, um, obviously, we touched on this in the sportsmanship video, but this is the phase where you clarify everything. This is the phase where you go, I've moved to here. Do you agree that it's out of line of sight of everything that you can move up? Uh, I've moved to here. Do you agree that that's a six inch charge? I've moved to here. Do you agree that you can't get an angle on it? Um, just going through all those things and assuming that your opponent is a reasonable player, which they almost always are. Um, yeah. The Despite always feeling like we've got something bad to talk about, it's just the volume of games and the volume of people that we have yeah. in our, our circle to really talk about. Um, almost every game is a, you know, a friendly opponent. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's ten cents for the first turn, but definitely get into that habit, guys. If if you're not doing it, like I can't emphasize enough. I'm sure the guys will back us up. Like it's just it's just such a good habit to get into. Yeah, 
it's um it's something i really enjoy and i don't always do it it depends sometimes you know the person you're playing against and you know that you're both just going to be pretty on the ball and it's going to be a fast game so i don't bother but it's worth playing on a clock um not only for you to make sure you get a fair amount of time but so your opponent doesn't get antsy when you take you know 10 15 minutes at the start of your movement phase and you haven't moved any models you don't feel like you're taking the piss and eating into their time it's uh it's yeah. a good tool for that for to to give you more time to um think about what you're going to do phil's just put a question do you guys mark out with dice the max distance you can could move oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't tend to i think it takes a little bit too much time i think it's more like so how far could your guy and it's more an interactive experience right how far could your guy get could you show me that okay great and then you can shoot 24 so how far could that shoot and then you're doing it together and that that way you're kind of a bit quicker rather than making a pretty picture with dice but i can understand someone doing that especially if you're learning that process i typically do it for my opponent's models not for my own because i can remember where my stuff goes it's just nice to have a die to show um and it's it's especially in a, a shooting matter it's so much easier to do because yeah. you kind of just go this unit that has a gun it can move okay so it can get 10 inches down this way or it can get 10 inches this way i'm going to mark out all of those okay so if i move to here you actually can't see me through any of those lines that you go to do you agree i think it's very important to do that though if you'll say you're wanting to measure your own movement and then say from this from this distance do you agree that this is within range because if you keep moving your model and putting it back, it's not consistent. You could have moved it back and it'd be slightly an inch that way, an yeah. inch that way. It's just, it's not, I, th I think by putting that dice down, you're kind of negating any kind of feel-bads of the whole when people pick up a model, move it, move it back, and it's just yeah, it's sloppy, sloppy, I think, which you need to avoid, really. Yes, that is uh, absolutely something worth discussing. How it's really not okay to move your model multiple times no. and we we were all guilty of it um there have been times that i've gone back and dirtled around with my model but you know what i do i end up moving my 12 inch movement model like eight inches because i'm like okay i know it can definitely get to here from where it was i don't actually need to get it any closer yeah. i've just kind of i'm moving it to get the, the line of sight this is fine there's no sort of argument that i'm nowhere near um, but you're absolutely right. If you're moving forwards, moving backwards, and then go, actually, no, I'm going to get here. Oh, look, I'm just in range to get there. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, it's funny, close. If it was like measuring within a couple of inches and suddenly yeah. it is, it just, that creates problems for your opponent. One of my favorite things, and I'm, I'm not saying this for mean value, uh, one of my favorite things about rapid ingress is that I start with at least two models off the board um, with my Chaos Knights, which means when I'm trying to work out where I'm going, I can take one of the models I have have off of, take one of the models I have off the board, get my words out, put it where I want it to go, and then I can go. Okay, cool. From here, I can see this, 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 and this. And then sometimes you put it there, and you physically look at it and go, "Oh God, I'm an idiot. This doesn't work at all. I need to go back to where I was." If you don't have spare models available, you just mark out where your model was with dice. You know, put one, try point it, pick spare up the model bases. carefully. Spare bases are good. Pennies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, realistically, people don't carry spare bases around because they're kind of easy to lose. If you are going to move your models, just try point the model with dice and then you can see where it goes to. Um, you're not going to get it right first time every time, but just try and make it consistent for your opponent. Mm -hmm. Lovely stuff. All right, got a couple more people in chat there. Lovely to see. Uh, Paint Celestine, good to see you. And uh, Philip says, thank you guys. It's something I tend to do more and more. Tend to mind 
mark my max movements to visualize where certain models can go to get angles. That's that is good, especially if you're um, playing shooting armies when you're getting used to shooting armies and sort of working out how much damage you need to put in certain armies. You can put it out, um, measure where your units can go, and go. Okay, if I do allocate three units over here, that's where they can get to. Something as well that I always do towards the end of my movement phase. It would be better to do it before you finish moving everything. Um, you know, ideally you move your key units first and then you move the things that are less key afterwards. But I always take a couple of, you know, 30 seconds at the end of my movement phase to just go, cool, what are my secondaries? I've got, you know, this secondary and this secondary. Have I achieved them this turn? Cool. I'm on the objective to do the thing. I'm in the back corners here. Lovely stuff. Um, am I on the, the primary points that I want to? Yes. Perfect. That's exactly where I need to be. Um, just take that 30 seconds at the end of the movement phase. Yeah. And then if you realize that you fucked something up, almost no one's going to mind if you go, sorry, that shouldn't be there. Do you mind if I move it back? As long as you're not taking the piss with movement and trying to yeah. get extra. If it's somewhere you obviously could have got to, people are going to be, yeah, of course, just put it back where it should be. The difference does come in when you've gained information. So if you've you know advanced after you've moved a model, don't go back and move a different model because your advancing model yeah. couldn't reach where it needed to go. Quite often I have an opponent who I, so at the end of my turn, I will then go back for my secondaries and I'll mark off my score because that's yeah. most of yeah. them are, uh, most of them are um, movement phase, like objective type things. Yeah. After my opponent goes, oh, you're not doing any shooting or charging then? I'm like, no, I'm just scoring myself. And they're like genuinely surprised that I'm checking back yeah. through my score to make sure I'm scoring those things. It's like, no, 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 this is something we should all be doing. It kind of, it, to me, it makes perfect sense. But yeah, if you aren't doing it out there, because how, let's face it, quite often you do have opponents who go, oh, what were my secondaries again? Oh, man. Like, and I think this can come back from having a clear plan in place from the start of your command phase. Like in yeah. a perfect world, you would go, right, in my command phase, right, what am I doing? What am I trying to achieve this turn? This unit's going to do here. This unit's going to go here. I'm going to try and take this objective, score this, whatever. And then you just press go and then you do those things. Like obviously that doesn't happen, right? The amount of times you'll be doing things, you get halfway through your turn, you're like, oh, I could do this. And but and like that's sort of it. But having that clear plan, um, I think is really important. Um, and one other thing I think probably should touch on is um planning ahead. Um, like in our notes, Swissly wrote about um don't move a model pointlessly um, and every unit you move should have an intent right and it's either to score an objective or to be hidden or to shoot or to charge or whatever but you should have a move and I still remember this game uh, right at the bottom end of ninth playing into um, Admech uh, playing with my Admech into Demons he had the Beast of Nurgle things that could trap you and I moved out I had like, these scout moves these service raiders and I went first I did my thing I was like I don't really know what to do with these Cerberus Raiders, really. There's not, nothing really I can do with them. Um, I guess I'll just hover around here because he hasn't really got any shooting. He's not about to kill those Cerberus Raiders. And at that moment, like my not that I realised, but my opponent's eyes lit up with glee because what he did was he charged a large amount of his army into some infiltrators, which are up the board. <laughs> killed those infiltrators quickly, which meant yep. the Beast of Nurgle got a free pile and consolidate. And those Beast of Nurgle duly piled in and consolidated straight into those service raiders which were doing absolutely nothing um and 
it's about having like that clear intent with um, with your movement i think um and thinking ahead one thing i had to really train myself with in like with harlequins was because your secondaries were basically all about getting into your opponent's deployment zone so every turn i'd be like right this these units are going into my opponent's deployment zone what's going into my opponent's deployment zone next turn and that was like that was a really common thing i think you know as more and more people take kind of like we haven't really spoken about secondaries but more and more people take like homers and that sort of thing mm. having that clear game plan of what not what's scoring homers this turn um but what's scoring homers next turn um what can be into the important places um in future terms i think that's um that's i think that's a skill which we don't necessarily always think about um but it's certainly one that is incredibly important is to be thinking about your movement phase a turn ahead yeah a hundred percent uh and i think the uh, that's an interesting point you raise about the secondaries the the fixed versus tactical with the tactical it's you've got to be so much more cognizant of what you could be planning to deal with next turn so sure right now you're like cool i've got to you know stand on two objectives in the middle of the board and do my home objective nice and easy but are you in a position to potentially threaten your opponent's objective if they've left that you know as something that you could move towards um on turn four are you thinking about where do i need to be in terms of preventing their end game scoring um if you're going first how can i potentially move block them in or tie up their units so that could get there because if you think about it on turn five it's probably too late uh yeah and, and keep moving and having one of the things i i tend to like as well is uh second guessing what seconds you get because sometimes it just happens yes. if yeah. you if you like like area signal uh, what is it uh, investigate signals right mm. you can score loads on that that can be a six quite easily if you've got stuff in the right places just being annoying or you know if you've got nerglings or a chaff unit just just chuck it in there it's turn three it has to come down why bring it in somewhere useless put it somewhere that you might get uh, the opportunity for as chris says if you if you haven't drawn behind enemy lines yet or, or engaging all fronts you know just have a unit that you go well if i do draw that that's going to be an absolute belter but obviously as we've also just literally said don't do it if you sort of threaten the the unit's existence on the board. Yes. Yeah. Did have some more chats uh, there. We've got Paint Celestine saying nice things about me. Garrett Family Aquatics saying, I just wanted to say I enjoy your videos every time I watch them. I think this channel is criminally underrated. Keep up the great work, gentlemen. That's very kind of you to say, Garrett. Uh, thank you very much. We'll keep going. Uh, Brett says, I know people who still to forget to draw secondaries. Now, I'm assuming that that's not necessarily aimed at me, but that did happen at teams. <laughs> um, just straight up Literally forgot to draw myself. Yeah, which was hilarious. We were so I was so frazzled by game three on yeah. day one. Um, but just I didn't draw my secondaries turn one. And um, Dave reminded me I didn't draw my secondaries on turn two. Dave didn't notice because why would he be keeping track of that? It's my job. And then I got to the end of the turn. He goes, you haven't drawn your secondaries. <laughs> and I drew two like a action secondaries. And I was in position to do the action secondaries. Yeah. Um, I just hadn't. It's almost like having your, your list of things you need to do, including like when you're making your movements, like if you've got stuff that has to come in, like turn three, you've got stuff in deep strike. Yeah. What's their plan? Are your movements actually going to do something that they could do? Mm. And could those other units be being doing something that could, like uh, Davey said, like 
putting something forward just because you can, when a deep strike unit can do it, and keep them back if you've got investigate signals coming up potentially, it's that whole kind of like using them the right way rather than kind of going, well, this is the quick win, but it's a quick win that doesn't necessarily always get you kind of positionally where you need to be next turn, like Chris was saying. It's like, it's making sure that you utilize those things like the deep strike, I find is the weird one that I always kind of, I get to the end of my turn and go, what am I doing with them? Yeah. And so I've tried to make the effort of going, right, what do they need to achieve? Because if sure. you don't, you're just going, this, this unit of three inceptors is sat there what is it going to do? It needs to do something. You can't just drop it down and be... Sometimes it might just be being an aggressive unit, but mm -hmm. that's not necessarily where the points should be spent, perhaps. No, absolutely. And if, and if you don't draw the secondary you wanted, I hear it's absolutely fine just to shuffle it back into your deck and draw two new ones. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I would add, um, I think a lot of people get into the habit of dropping down a unit turn two just because they think they should. They can um and actually the amount of times my opponents like oh, i don't really have to do these i'll just put them here i'm like it's turn yeah, two no. mate yeah, actually no. a lot <laughs> of units have a lot more um oomph and like ability to affect the game in turn three when there's more space um i remember playing um a custodian guy again um, a while ago and he dropped down like his stuff but i had screened him out i'd used basically all of my units to screen him out and give him like no, you're just you're just going to drop down in your backfield. But actually, in my turn, he was able to, or in his second turn, he was able to deal with a lot of those screening units. And it would have meant if he'd waited till turn three, that unit would have been able to hit the midboard and suddenly cause me quite a lot of troubles. So I think mm. having that plan, I know for me, it's my basic thought process is I get my cards and I go. My first thought is how am I going to score those cards? And one of the most, for Elder, I know, one of the most important things is um, the deep striking down units, putting them in a place and then fire and fading them, especially if it's to try and get me into my opponent's like uh, deployment zone and that sort of thing. Um, so just having that, they're part of the, the puzzle and think about them, even though it, sure, it, they, I mean, no normal opponent is going to be like, no, you need to put your... The deep strike stuff down um, right at the end. I regularly will screen out or just dump the models there and be like, yeah. but they're going there at the end of the turn, just yeah. so you know. And unless you're trying to draw out an overwatch or something, that's when it's important to do it at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. And maybe then you don't actually want to put them down because you're trying to draw out an overwatch elsewhere so you can drop them down safely at the end of your turn. So then there's that, that element of it. But a lot of the time it's not. It's just to make sure you've got the whole picture before you start moving shit, and the deep strike is an important part of it. Especially if it's scoring that doesn't require any risk. Like, if you can just put it there and just know you're scoring it, mm. why wouldn't you? Just try to achieve the points without any interaction. Perfect. It's a dream. Rest in peace to uh, Stranglehold and to the last. Gone, but not gone. <laughs> Um, there is still plenty that we could talk about in the movement phase, but we are approaching that hour and a half mark, and uh, we've all got things to do. So I think we're going to move on to some viewer questions here. If you've got any questions, we've kind of been just answering them as we go along, but do chuck any burning desires for knowledge that you have into the chat, and we will go over to the Discord section, which is named Podcast Questions. Uh, if you do have a desire to find something out, hop over to Discord, ask us stuff throughout the week. Um, we tend to go through most, if not all of them. I get stunlocked by, you know, people having conversations in there. Don't do that. 
Um, <laughs> the, not, nothing will happen. You're not going to get banned. You'll just make me a little sad. And uh, who would want to make me a little sad? Green Giant. No, sorry. Green Giant uh, oh, says... Oh, oh. Indeed. Uh, he has three E's in his name. With the next balanced data slate coming potentially next month or early January, what are your predictions slash hopes for it? This is a full topic for a podcast. Full so <laughs> I will take one hope from each of you, starting with Davey. God. Um, well, just let Eldari go get a serious amount of... of well, Eldari and... Oh, I'm going to be cheeky. Eldari and CSM. Yeah, a, a significant thing that... The top of the meta to go down. I, yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah, that's reasonable. John, give me one. To bring up some of the armies, especially if they haven't been announced as getting codexes, just so that they can be given some player. Yeah. No, this no, is no, this no. is what you come for, guys. This is the, the high level content. Yeah. We've had one person say bring the top down, and the other person say bring the bottom <laughs> up. It's Chris. The we, we, want to be, we want the middle. We want it all Give me something spicy, Chris. Something spicy. Yeah. Okay. Um, I hope that they don't touch Eldar. And uh, everything else just is stays the same. <laughs> but you're not going to be Why playing would you Eldar, say Chris. You're literally not going to be Eldar. playing Eldar. Yeah, yeah. but you, you're you a Grey Knight slash World Eater main. Well, now, no, so. no, I think that I would, in an ideal world as an Eldar player, I would um, like to not be absolutely cremated, which is what I'm sure most Eldar players are slightly concerned about. Yes, they are certain there are certainly certain fixes they could do to Eldar, which would just make the faction not really usable in any sort of sense anymore, especially if they get heavily pointed along with all the movement troops getting slammed. I feel like we see that every time Eldar gets slapped because they're such a glass cannon army in theory that throughout the additions they're overpoweringly strong, then they get nerfed, and then they're suddenly just they die on the table by turn three, and you're like... Yeah. They've well. not hit them hard enough yet, and so the, the the concern from an Eldar perspective would be that um, they would just get over it. There is absolutely a balance that can be achieved. It's just a very fine line, um, yeah. because they're a army with a lot of wonderful abilities, and eventually you just don't have enough units on the table to make the most of those abilities, um, and that is where the heavy points will kind of come in. Um and so, yeah, I think it's going to be a hard job to balance. I think it can be done. But let's face it, the whole community wants Eldar to fuck off. So I fully understand um, that Eldar are probably going to get hit pretty hard. But then you just hope. And my obviously, obviously the overall concern is what rises to the top. Something will sneak through, right? So well, I think that's interesting. Yeah, I'd like to see more melee. Um, I think the, the game is the most engaging and yeah. uh, difficult and the better players tend to do better when melee is good over shooting being good. It's very easy to just sort of positioning and shooting your guns correctly is quite easy. And it's it's the sort of easy path into competitive 40k I had just playing a list that had loads of guns. Um, I think it, it's a lot more fun to play the game when combat is good over shooting, despite me preferring to shoot people. Than, uh, than melee. I think I'd like to see more of a melee focus come. Well, considering everyone is about to become a World Eater's main, according to the um, Red Angels box that got sold pretty quickly, your wish could be true. And then, who's really good into melee armies? Death Guard. So therefore, 
Ed wants Death Guard to be the top tier army. Hey, I've said oh. it before. I I like Death Guard thematically. I'd be okay with them doing you know doing well at the moment. Uh, how did they do at Worlds? Didn't someone take them as an anti-meta threat? Didn't they? Um, they seven and one. Yeah. Not win. <laughs> seven and one at World Championships. It's not that bad. That's pretty shit. <laughs> I'll be honest. I didn't keep track. I saw you what lost the game. I was like, "Cool, that's going in the uh, the bank." I'm gonna yeah, bring that out. Didn't lose another though. Yeah, uh, well, because I stopped paying attention. Uh, Paint Celestine says uh, Arco Flagellants from 130 to 150 points for 10 models. I haven't been tapped into Sisters enough to know whether that would solve the issues, but uh, we will uh, we'll see what they do with that. Ultimate Funk says, "If you were going to write a list to do a thing armies supposedly supposedly don't do, but one that it does well, what do you write?" Uh, he says, "I'm thinking." It's melee tower, punch face melee, ad mech, shooty world eaters, death guard that do literally anything. Oh, fucking shots fired. Love it, ultimate funk. So say the question again. Build an army that what? That doesn't do the thing that the army supposedly does. So melee tower, for example. Fast Votan? Well, they're doing it. Very they're fast. all in fact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but yeah. that's like thematically not necessarily how they're you see you'd kind of expect yeah. them to be a slow and steady, and they are playing that sort of ninth edition Drakari, but with less melee <laughs> style. Which uh, you know maybe that's why Tom loves them. Yeah, they're no. very good. Yeah. No, no, I like the I like yeah. the question. Is there anything I'd like shooty to see? Orcs. Shooty demons. Oh, yeah, I fucking good. love me some shooty orcs. Yeah, I've been or being that buckies. I'm looking forward to um, some sort of vehicle orc list when they get their codex again. But not planes. Necrons no. that kill things? Oh god. Needs the oh, kill things. Like do things, things yeah. as well. Oh my god. Yeah. Great, Necrons that don't lean on like unkillable bricks. I'd love to see that again. Uh, we, I mean, this comes up every fucking week. Chris we'll and I'll just it. sit here and wax lyrical about the, the glory days of 8th edition when Necrons when were fun. Necrons were bang average, but fun. Oh, the, no, they were, they were bad. They were awful. Yeah. When our were, lad. When our were, lad. When our lad. I played change. against Necrons. If you lost 50% of your army, or 75% of your army, it might have been, they all disappeared. Yeah, you don't roll five dice and go, oh, I almost reanimated. If only I'd roll one more five up. Oh, mm. reanimations, yeah. Oh, um, all right, Mark, Mark says, have you ever quit a game rather than continue with a genuinely unpleasant opponent? Um... Is life too short to waste time with someone that throws tantrums at the table, or do you tough it out for the victory points and or practice? I mean, that's kind of what happened with you last week, Chris. Uh, no, my he, opponent did. He, he threw in the towel. Yeah. He threw in the you... towel. So anyway, I personally would never do that. No. Um, because I just have too much pride of like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to give you the easy win here if you're being a dick. Like, no. yeah. No. I, I think, think, we're... I think it's, we're generally optimistic people, and we think that people might change. During yeah. the game, like maybe they're addicted to start with, and then actually they, they get into a, a swing of things. I I think where I am at the game at the moment, um, where I'm playing a lot less hyper competitive than I was last year, and I'm looking to ramp it up with the next ITC season again. I think when we've got more books and the game gets a bit more complex, it, I enjoy it more. But uh, I think where I am at the moment, there are a short list of players that if I drew them in round five of an event, I'd be like, you know what, I'm just dropping. Um, it's it's a very short list, but I think because mm. I'm not really bothered how I do at events other than you know practice, get some good games in. Um, the internet points aren't really there for me this year. I think there are two or three players that if I saw them, you know, round five, I'd just be like, fuck it, I'm just gonna go home. I had, I've had, I had it once. My last tournament of ninth, I did, I tried, 
Hey, we played through the game. <laughs> I did very much go. You know what? Psychologically, in my head, I was like, I'm I'm done with this game. Mm. The shenanigans that I was having to deal with, I was just like, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm not just going to keep fighting this. And I just went, yeah. you know what? I just I'll just roll over a little bit, get it over and done with, and I'll go and get myself a cup of tea because I was like my time was actually more important and it was just it was anxious i was feeling anxious and mm. i thought i'll take myself out of that and probably wasn't the most combative and like strong player kind of thing but at the same time i felt like it was probably better for me as a player i was like i need to just not be dealing with this guy i think that's what you need to there is no right or wrong answer right yeah. if it's not good for you and you're not enjoying the experience then actually you do what's right for you. For me, I'm just, toy soldiers, isn't it? Yeah, for me, I just have that streak, which means I wouldn't want them once, to have that. Once I get to the table, when someone starts being a knob, that's when you're like, I, I don't, I shouldn't, but I do quite enjoy it because you're like, cool, right? Now we've we got to deal with you being a dickhead. I think it's all those years working customer facing roles, where um, you don't get to be the dickhead back, and uh, certainly like sound. <laughs> The, 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 there's a level for playing field here, only it's not, because uh, I think highly of myself. You couldn't probably tell from the way that I talk. No, never. So, moving <laughs> on swiftly, um, we've got Ultimate Funk again. Says, some advice needed. I want to play more local tournaments in my store, but there are players who attend reg regularly who I know don't enjoy the game in the way I do, which is the general 6++ spirit as discussed, which is the uh, sort of play by intent. He says, I like the competitive practice, and I only really have space for one-day tournaments, and being able to walk down is really helpful. Should I go and just sign my way through these games, uh, or try and get further afield to find games less regularly? I think this really ties into the last point. If you're not playing, enjoying playing them, don't fucking bother. Like, unless, unless you're doing it with a goal of, I, I'm trying to improve to become a better player, so when I've got more time, I can go to big events and do really well at them, at which point there is an argument for muscling through and just be like, I'm going to put up with these dickheads. Um, I just wouldn't bother. I'd yeah. find somewhere else to play, to be honest. I So if that's your only option, I think you, you, I think you can do it. Um, one of the things I would like to, you know, again, optimistic here, is if you do the things the right way, you know, you explain everything with intent, maybe you could upskill these people uh, as to how they play it. Now, maybe not, absolutely, but that might not happen. But I think that if that's your only option, I think you have to kind of become the, pre the priest of good sportsmanship and try and convert those around you. It depends on how they like to play. If it's narrative, then you've got no hope to just do what they want to do. But if it's like shitty players then potentially you can show them the light. I know players who I previously did not like, and now I do because they've improved their, their game. <laughs> Good to see you again, John. Uh, no, I'm joking. Um, Just can't brought the redeemer that one time. Yeah. But no, generally, like people who were difficult to play and mm. now have have kind of turned it around. And, and I'm, I'm weirdly proud of them. But yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Invest time in people and hopefully they invest it back. Yeah, I I feel like it's not my job to teach a load of adults how to behave in social situations, but that it comes from someone who has to deal with customers on a you know day to day yeah. basis. So maybe other people have more patience for it than I do. I also think that if you're gonna if you're gonna like what if you want to play competitively long term, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to play knobheads at some point. So if you can learn the skill set to deal with that or, or perfect it in such a way that you just like don't care, I also think that's beneficial. Yeah, that is fair. Part of the reason why. I've had less interest in 40k recently 
too many knobheads. All right. Well, moving on then, we have got... Jasher says, we're now five months into the edition. We've had time to play with them a bit more. How are we feeling about fight phase charge changes and the attempted limiting of the jank? Shit. Yeah, it's shit. New jank. It's not I, the jank. That's not nice. It's jank. It's new jank. I hate it. Like, when you win a combat and you're not near an objective and you're not near an enemy unit, that unit is literally there. It's like, great. And if that's a, It means you probably shouldn't have chosen that as a charge. But then that kind of boils down to like, there isn't any flex there, which I find very frustrating because I'm used to it, I suppose. I suppose if I didn't play the previous edition, I wouldn't miss it. It just takes yeah. away so much like fun stuff that you could do. There's so many options you look at it and you'd be like, oh, I could do this, this, this. It was such a skill set. And in eighth, it was more of a skill set. And then you oh, make some so minor tweaks. And you get to ninth and you're like, okay, well, I've had to adapt. And now it's just like, yes, there is a skill set there. Of course there is but it's massively reduced and you're far more restricted. And um, yeah, I'm just like, there's just so much, there's so, so much fun, so much opportunity you could have in kind of like ninth of the fight phase compared to now. New opportunity, right? Yeah. Like the whole like charging two units in there somewhere and killing something and then piling into another unit and then fighting them. Like that is just massive play. Yeah, I was going to say the um, ability to fight things that you didn't charge is uh, so spicy. It is, yes, and you've got to pull it off, and that's you know something you've got to really line up in your movement phase as well. Yeah, relevant to this. The, the two positives though that I find from it is I do get my movement shenanigans elsewhere instead. So mm. your squad tactics of the world, all those sorts of things. It not sure. just being an Eldar bullshit thing means at least I get to scratch that itch a little bit. That and heroic intervention, when that can work. It's great. Being able to actually do a counter charge, I do like, but I just it's it shouldn't be two point. It shouldn't be two CP. <laughs> it's too risky. I don't know that I've had heroic intervention go off in any of my games on either side of the table. It's helped me win a game. i just I was in love. Yeah. Good. Good stuff. Guys, I'm gonna have to jump off, but it's been lovely speaking with you all. Lovely stuff. All right, Davey. Good to have right, you. Okay, have a good night, everyone. Bye. Bye. Um, Tom says, will there be an episode on Admech and Necron's Codex, and if so, who will be speaking about them? Uh, we will absolutely be doing a Cracking the Codex on both of those, so we'll be starting off probably, I think, with um, episode one of both of those series, I believe is the plan, so we will be getting a faction specialist on to discuss the sort of general overview, and then we will be going, Scrivo and I will be continuing to speak about the Codex and the detachments as we go through um, and we'll be having, we, you know, we'll we'll have a vote, see who wants to take lead on the um, which factions we'll be discussing first. We'll put that up as a, a, a poll there. Maybe put it up on Patreon. Papa Smurf says, "Would you rather be as handsome as Henry Cavill or as muscular? Uh, if you are one already of those, uh, please disregard this question. Also, can you guys talk a little about Chaos Knights because I'm new to playing them and I don't have much going on in my life other than listening to your podcast." Um, well, that's uh, that's very nice to hear. Not that you don't have much going on here. Like, <laughs> I hope you phrase that. Um, I, I'm glad you're enjoying our content is what I'm trying to say. And Chaos Knights are a really fun faction. Um, I maybe should do something on Chaos Knights because I've been playing them quite a lot. I think they're a really fun faction to play at the moment. Um, to play, perhaps. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps. Um, anyone got any opinions on whether they'd rather be as handsome or as muscular as Henry Cavill? Oh, well, 
I think a lot of his handsomeness comes from his muscularity. However, yeah. that's a lot of work to keep that up. If I just get yeah. to be that muscular, sure. But if I got to eat and work out as much as he does, then no. Mm. Right, thanks. I uh, I think neither of those are, are massively important values, and I'd like to be as <laughs> as, as nice as he is because he seems to be a really solid bloke. Yeah. That's gonna. Or is rich? Yeah. Oh, hey. Now that one I can get behind. Uh, Titchy said, "Will we get an Imperial Knights channel on Discord to go along?" There with is the now fashion. and a Chaos Knight one. Perfect, been sorted. Uh, Stu says, "And a Chaos Knights one for the cooler, edgier, giant, stompy robots." Perfect. Uh, I'm glad someone was there to uh, dig the fucking elbow into the Imperial Knight players. Um, he also asked about the uh, situation at Worlds. We've discussed that we're not going to be talking about that, and um, if you get your information from Reddit, it's going to be wrong. So. Um, what else have we got here? I think that is about it. Hannibal said, what did you think about the um, World Champs tournament format? Do you think single elimination would have been clearer and easier to follow? Also, does Chris think there should be a, a fluffy two-day event for non-Eldar players? Very nice. Uh, and also the teachers um, who have to go. Thoughts on the format about the champs? I think they could have done a more definitive way of doing it rather than having to do double elimination the fact that you had so many games to decide it just mm. i'm sure there would have been a better solution to that especially after doing the pods yeah as someone who watches quite a lot of esports um i'm a big fan of double elimination but then when you get to a final where you've got to have a best of three in warhammer where each game takes Nine three hours, hours. <laughs> that does not work at all um, you know, if we're talking esports where each game lasts between you know twenty and forty minutes, for example, that's fine. You can have a series done in the time it takes to play a Warhammer game with some breaks in between. Uh, I don't think a best of three final, unfortunately, is particularly relevant here, which is just one of the issues with double elimination. However, double elim is a great format, and uh, yeah. it's I'm I'm glad to see them experimenting with the format. I'll say that. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Then going to chat, you said, uh, Bodger, as a player without a codex coming out until next summer, at the earliest, how do you keep enthusiastic about your army's index rules? Uh, I'll be honest. Find I new army. Yeah, 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 yeah. Find another outlet for your focus, whether it's a new army or another hobby, just while you wait for things to get more interesting. Um, I am really enjoying Chaos Knights, but there is no list building to be had with it. So outside of playing games, I don't need to think about the army at all, really. Um, I've played enough games now that I've got a good general idea of what I'm doing, so I don't really feel the need to sit down and sort of plan out how I approach games, unless it's a specific matchup that I haven't thought about. So for me, it's more a case of look at other stuff. The Crack in the Codex content that John and I have been doing has been great, because it means that I have to look at a new spin on a faction each week, and that's just you know something to keep my my appetite whetted on the list building so yeah. look at other factions even if you're not planning on playing them it's it's good practice to know what you're going to play against at events exactly that yeah yeah you don't want the surprises to be you don't you the first time you've played a matchup after you've played it you're like ah oh, i understand so much more now but it's when you put someone who's reading off all these rules to you and you're like i don't really i'm not taking this on board like you know at times my opponent tells me about all this stuff and you know what's relevant to you right so you're able to digest a bit so i'm like cool this is a super scary combat unit great go kill yep. my five orc spiders be my guest and so like it's related to your particular army but um generally to have that 
like knowledge of the key things to be looking out for so that it's not a, a surprise or in fact when they get rules wrong and you can be like no that doesn't sound quite right could we just read that through and check that's really useful so i think that's a really good point if you're a bit bored of your army just read around other armies and just get a vibe for them and it might help you understand the game a bit better contextually Absolutely. Uh, Paint Celestine asked, um, Hammerheads, yes or no? We did say that you should ask Jack. He's our resident Tau expert. Uh, my gut feeling, despite not having looked at them in a while, for, uh, is no. I much prefer the, prefer the broadsides. I think they're a bit more flexible. Lovely stuff. Oh, no one else okay. has played Tau in living memory, so I can move on. Uh, I've got one specifically for me. Uh, Bread says, Ed, if you could be renamed, would it be Ed, Ed, or Eddie? Uh, it would be Plank. I knew you were going to go with Plank. Yeah. There's something about it. <laughs> yeah. Handsome man. I'd love to be as handsome as Plank. You know. Um, he also said, any thoughts on the Admech and Necron rules previews? I haven't seen enough to form any sort of real opinion yet. But I've not read the Admech one. I read the Necron one today. Um, yeah, I mean, the fact that they get to be Grey Knights is always interesting because we know the Grey Knights ability is cool. Yeah, but we have seen the issue of Grey Knights not being able to kill anything, and it's not like Necrons have a high damage ceiling. Yeah. So, um... I'd be surprised if that one became like the main Necron thing. Yeah. Um, there's a Destroyer Cult one as well, which had quite yeah. a cool stratagem, if I remember. But again, it wasn't like, oh, this is game changing. Yeah. Um, but I've I've heard that you know there is some decent stuff on Necrons coming. So. Yeah, it sounds like the uh, Canoptech one could be particularly interesting. Yeah. So we'll have to see. And um, yeah, and then we'll also have Admech, um, which won't be easily broken down into Destroyer, Canoptech. It'll just be red ones, green ones, and blue ones. Uh, there's some Admech slander for you. Yeah. Lovely stuff. All right. Thank you for watching. As always, we have been that 6++ plus 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 podcast. Uh, have a great evening, and we'll see you for the next one.